This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. I remember uh, many years ago when I first uh, read this parable, uh, it meant something very different to me uh, than it does today. Uh, This parable is often uh, referred to uh, and shared by uh, the title, the parable of the sower. And it's a parable uh, by which we experience the radical sowing, the radical spreading of the gospel of God's love. And we experience and proclaim God's character, the character of God that uh, regardless of the soil that it's cast into still casts God's grace and God's love and God's power abundantly among God's people. And most, most often what I would do is focus on that Uh, that casting of God's grace, the character of God that we learn about in this parable. But one thing that has changed my perspective on this parable is my own experiment in gardening. When my wife and I first moved to Apex many years ago, a few years after we moved into our house, uh, we thought it would be helpful uh, to teach our children that food could come from other places besides Chick-fil-A. Uh, We realized this when we asked our daughter one time, where does fruit come from? And she put it out the window and said, Daddy, right there, it's Chick-fil-A. So we realized we needed to teach them a different way. And so we thought gardening might give us a chance to do that. Now, as a family in suburban America, we did gardening uh, the only way we knew how, and that was we installed a raised bed in our backyard. Now, John, I think you have a picture of a raised bed. Do you have that? Now, this is not our raised bed, uh, but it was one very much like this. And I remember that very first uh, spring, around March, when we began planning for this, uh, we planned very meticulously uh, to make sure everything was well prepared for this new garden. Uh, We cleared the spot in the soil. Uh, We laid newspaper along the ground to prevent the grass from growing up and stealing nutrients from that soil. We took all the rocks and all the weeds out of the soil, and we mixed in this rich, fertilized uh, topsoil to make sure the the, the soil was just rightly prepared. And even when we bought seeds and seedlings, uh, we planted these seedlings the exact distance apart they were supposed to be uh, to make sure we'd have healthy tomatoes and peppers and zucchini and squash. And we were so excited. And we planted around uh, April and May that spring, and by midsummer we had an abundant harvest. You have a next picture, John. Now again, that wasn't our garden, <laughs> <laughs> but but memory tells me it was just like that. <laughs> and the fruit was ripe, and the tomatoes were delicious, and we had so many zucchini and squash that we had to find new recipes of ways to use it that I never knew existed. And we were giving it away left and right, and we had a wonderful summer full of fresh vegetables, and our kids were eating tomatoes off the vine, and it was glorious. This farming thing was easy. (laughs) So we thought we'd try it again. That spring, the following spring, we had gotten busier, and our children were more active in different activities, And we were a little bit slower to prepare the soil. And so we simply broke up as much as we could with the rake, the soil, threw some topsoil in, uh, not really taking for account the fact that it was hard packed after the many rains that year in the winter. 
And we simply scattered some seed, dropped some seedlings in because we were professional gardeners. <laughs> we knew what we were doing. I clearly had a green thumb. Well, by midsummer, we had a different experience. John? <laughs> Again, this is not our garden. Ours didn't look that good. <laughs> but our garden had died very quickly. Uh, seeds sprung up, plants had sprung up quickly in that shallow topsoil and died as quickly as they began. We found rocks that we didn't know existed and weeds overtook our garden. And it was a great reminder to us and a great lesson for us of two things. One, when it comes to gardening, we're now, we now leave it to the professionals. <laughs> but two, and the more important thing, is that often the fruit of a garden is more determined by the state of the soil uh, than it is of any other thing that you might do. And so we learned that the preparation of the soil is one of the most important things that we could do uh, as gardeners. Now again, we have handed this over and we now trust our Simple Gifts Community Garden uh, to produce great vegetables for us. In fact, there's a picture, I think, of the harvest from a couple weeks ago. This is what happens when you trust gardening to the people who know what they're doing. <laughs> they have peppers and they have abundance of fruit. And the thing I love about our church's garden is that these vegetables that have been well prepared for and well tended are now bearing God's love in practical ways where thousands of pounds of fresh vegetables and fruits are being shared with our neighbors right here in Western Wake County every year. Because people who knew what they were doing <laughs> prepared soil gave their passion and their time and great fruit that turns into tangible ways of God's love was produced. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be asking uh, three questions. And these are three questions that I think are important self-reflection uh, questions uh, for us as a church, as well as for us as individuals, followers of Jesus. And these questions are very simple. The questions are, who were we? At our best, who were we as a church? At our best, who were we as disciples? Who were we and how were we prepared uh, for such a moment as this? The second question is, who are we? Who are we as a church? Who are we as followers of Christ? And, and how does who we are right now uh, lead us to become who we're going to be? Which is that last question, which is who is God calling us to be? But this morning, we're going to focus on that who were we question. And the who were we question really is a question of preparation. It's a question of how God has prepared us as disciples, as people, how God has prepared us as a church to be a place that bears abundant fruit uh, in this world. And there are so many things that has hap have happened in the history of this church. Uh, in a few weeks, on October 1st, we're going to celebrate the 100th anniversary of this sanctuary. A hundred years, this church has been in ministry to Southwest Wake County from this corner, from this very corner. And there are bricks in that bell tower that have been here for a hundred years, since 1917. We've gone through many changes and many renovations, and this place has, has changed and risks have been taken. But there's been a consistent pattern of discipleship here in Apex that is bearing great fruit, not just in this community but across this county and around the world. In a few years from now, we'll celebrate the 150th anniversary of this church. This year is 147 that we have been in ministry as a church. 
we celebrate the ways that for those 147 years, God has been at work preparing us, preparing this body, and that we are a people prepared to receive God's love, to be transformed by God's love, and to share that, that love with the world because of the work that has been done before us. My wife and I have been part of this congregation for uh, 15 years. We began worshiping here in 2002, and we have seen glimpses of, of just the type of work that has been done to prepare this church and prepare people uh, for ministry. Uh, uh, the, several things have come up, and there are two themes I want to touch on this morning. Because I think these themes, while not all-encompassing, are characteristic of who we are as a church and, and characteristic of the ethic and DNA of this place that allows us to be the church we are today and to be a church we are for the future. The first is this. For at least the last 15 years, I trust for many years before that, and, and I really do trust for the 147 years we have been in ministry, this church has been a place where lay leadership, where laity, where volunteers, have offered their gifts and their passions to create space and to help tend soil for abundant and fruitful discipleship. When my wife and I first attended here in 2002, one of those places was on a softball team. Uh, some of you have heard me tell part of this story, uh, but Dave Andrews was the coach at the time, and Dave, along with many others, had created this co-ed softball team, and they were recruiting. Now, to be clear, they were recruiting my wife, who was a very good softball player, and they'd asked her if she would come play with them and realized I could also come with them, and so we went together and started playing softball with a group of people who took seriously winning, which we did a lot, yes sir, buddy peace, uh, and also uh, creating space for relationship. And it was in those relationships, in that space, that we found our first friendships here. A few years later, my wife and I took a class. It was Disciple One Bible Study. Allison Anderson led that class, a lay leader in this church. And Allison, again, created a space, a significant space, through her passion and gifts, where we, my wife and I, together, might encounter Scripture. And it was through that class and through those relationships that Aaron and I experienced a depth and a calling uh, to God's Word that ultimately led to me being called into ministry. Now, my wife will tell you, and while it's important for you to know that, that she did not marry a pastor. Uh, she married a, a software developer. She still reminds me that many times. <laughs> but it was through God's Word in both of our lives that she came to me and expressed where she saw God calling us collectively as a family into ministry. Again, a lay leader made that possible. Another year later, we were involved in Alpha, again, led by laity in this place where my wife and I led a group of 20 young adults in our first small group. And that small group, now almost or over 10 years later, half of them still gather for Christmas every year to celebrate what God does in our community and our family. And I could go on and on and on what I appreciate about the path that was laid and the way that our laity has prepared the soil in us and in this church is that it's still the ethic and the DNA of this place. You know, last week or this morning, many of you received a ministry directory. And in this directory, there are 109 offerings, 109 spaces that people in this church have seen a need and through their passion and their giftedness have created space for people to encounter the love and the, and, the, and the grace of God. I'm going to invite you to open with me to page 9. If you have it with you, if not, I'm going to read it to you. 
Again, you can receive it this morning as you leave if you have not already. And in this, I just celebrate. But as I read these offerings, these are offerings where people have given their time, their gifts, their energy to create that space, to tend the soil in a way that we might receive God's gifts. Divorce care led by Pat Evans. Disciple One led by Tim and Sharon Clapp. Disciple's Path led by Jack and Beth Roscoe. A grief group facilitated by Liz Williamson and Sandy Story. You flip to page 10. Men's groups led by Larry Jordan, Mike Fisher, Hart Merriam, Lane Cloninger, Jason Purdy, and Jeff Hadley. Women's circles like the Agape Faith Circle, the Florence Holloman Circle, the Genesis Circle, the Joy Circle, and I could go on and on. Because people in this church, laity, volunteers, the body of Christ, have seen a need and through their giftedness, their passion, their time, their offering, have created space for soil to be tended in such a way that they might offer and they might experience that this world, this church might experience God's abundant grace. That is a gift of how soil is being prepared in this place. The second thing that I think is so vital to who we are as a church and so vital to what it means to be God's church is that this church for decades and for longer than that, for the entire existence, has made it clear that Christ-centered relationships are the most important thing. That relationships matter way more than who the pastor is, than who the staff is, than what the building looks like. That it's in those relationships that we have found and continue to find what it means to be disciples together. One of the things that uh, a pastor of ours, Pastor Paul Osteen, taught me when he was here uh, serving as pastor as Pastor, said, Pastor Powell said that there's something that you need to know as a United Methodist pastor. He said one of the great gifts of being a pastor is that you will always make every person in your congregation happy at some point in your ministry. He said some of them you'll make happy when you come. Some you'll make happy while you're there. And some you'll make happy when you leave. <laughs> but at some point in your time there, you will make everyone in that congregation very happy for the gift of what it means to be Methodist clergy. One of the gifts he also gave me was he reminded me that it's not, about, it's not about me. Pastors come and go. It's not about Todd. It's not about Joette. It's not about the staff here. It's not about the building. It's about those relationships. Those relationships are the spaces whereby God chooses to transform us. In a few weeks, uh, we're going to share a newsletter article written by Larry Jordan. Uh, Larry is a longtime member here. Uh, Larry reminded me at 8.15 uh, this morning that uh, he was not here actually 100 years ago when the sanctuary was built, <laughs> uh, but almost. <laughs> and Larry's going to tell stories about some of those relationships. Larry writes about a time when he was a youth in this sanctuary. And Larry and Hamilton Martin and Ed Tyndall used to run and hide in these very pews. And he talked about how they, this space for them as children and as youth was a place where lifelong friendships were crafted Tomorrow morning, when we join together for our Monday morning Bible study at 10 o'clock, and we study the book of Philippians, Larry Jordan and Hamilton Martin and Ed Tyndall will sit together, now as senior adults in this congregation, still in relationship, still sharing in Christ's word together. That's what church looks like. When we create space for significant Christ-centered relationships, we create space for the work and the word of God to still transform lives. 
What gives me great hope is that didn't stop with Larry and Ed and Hamilton. And if you know them, you give thanks for that as well. <laughs> but it continues. And I want to share a story that, again, came out in our newsletter two weeks ago by two of our young people. This is a story by Emily Hicks and Anna Roberts. I want to read a quick blurb from the story they told. This is what they said. They said, we both have been ringing handbells and singing in the choir for nine years. We began in children's choir and children's handbells when we were in third grade and fourth grade. And we have continued to ring and sing as we have grown up at Apex United Methodist Church. Choir and bells give us the opportunity to use our talents to serve the church. We enjoy learning music that challenges us. And we have learned the importance of teamwork and patience through these choirs. And every Sunday afternoon, we look forward to choir and handbell rehearsals before going to youth group. We have also made lifelong friends within both choirs. We are so thankful to have this opportunity to serve the church and learn these lifelong skills for making music. Now I will tell you, we are better for the fact that our young people play music, handbells, and sing choirs. But we're better for it, not simply because they make a joyful noise. We're better for it because there are now a junior and senior in high school who from the time they were in third and fourth grade have cultivated a friendship that will carry them through life in a way that when life's challenges come, and we know they come, they will have a Christ-centered relationship that they can fall back on. And their lives are transformed and better because of it. That's what this church does at its best. That's this church preparing the soil of its young people. That's this church cultivating our people for a life of discipleship that allows all of us to live fully into God's call for our lives. This morning, as we close this part of our service, I have three questions uh, for us. Uh, three questions that I think are vital for us as we uh, ask ourselves how we live into this call. And the first is a personal question. That personal question is this. How is your soil being nurtured and prepared in this season of your life? How is your soil, how is your heart, how is your very self being nurtured and prepared to receive God's gifts in this season of your life? One of the gifts of this ministry directory is that there are spaces for that to happen. There are Sunday school classes, there are small groups, there are opportunities to serve where we might offer ourselves in a way that we are being nurtured and prepared to be God's disciples. Each week we hand out scripture cards, and those are not simply bookmarks for you to slide in somewhere and recycle for the following week. There are ways for us to build patterns and order in our biblical life where we might be in God's word and be nurtured to be a disciple. How are you committing to, be, to, to allowing yourself to be transformed by God? The second is as a church. How are we as God's church helping to continue to nurture and prepare the, server, the soil for others? How are we offering ourselves to prepare the soil of our young people or our adults or in mission to be a people who take seriously the cultivating of this community, this church, and this world? Last week in our contemporary service, I said aloud that we had a need for sixth grade small group leaders. At the time, we had two people had that signed up. We needed at least six. Last week, five people stepped up and said, we want to be a part of that. We believe we have a gift to offer our sixth graders, that we can offer them a space, that we can offer them a, a listening ear, we can offer them guidance so that they might be nurtured 
and prepared for this life of discipleship? Where is God gifted? Where has God gifted you that you might offer your gifts to this world? And the third is this. It's about risk. One of the things about the character of God is that God takes abundant risk to share God's love with this world. That is a big part of this parable. And one of the great things about this church is that this church has always been and continues to be a place that takes risk to create space, new spaces for new people to encounter God's word, to encounter God's love. When we ran out of space here, we built new buildings. When we ran out of space to build buildings, we built new campuses. We created new spaces for new people where we took risk, not always knowing the outcome, to allow new people to encounter God's word. And in those spaces, we have seen great fruit. And so I ask you again, where are you stepping outside of your comfort zone? Where are you stepping outside of your places of pattern, your, your places of order, and allowing a little bit of God's chaos to churn up the soil in a way that people might experience God's abundant love? Where are you risking for the gospel? Let me pray for us as we continue in worship this morning. Almighty God, we do ask you this morning to prepare our hearts to prepare our hearts for what you might have for each of us, that through the gift of your Holy Spirit, through the gift of your body, the church, that we might be well-nurtured, that you might help remove the rocks, the weeds, that might choke out the vision you have for us. Prepare us to receive your gifts and bear fruit to a world that desperately needs it. Lord, help us be that kind of church. Help us be that kind of people. Help us set aside the things that keep us from taking risk for your gospel. And help us to share your love with this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.